Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It was about 10 minutes in and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like a gun had gone off in my head. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah, it was just possibly the most painful thing I've ever felt in my life. But I'd suffered from migraines previously. So in my head, I kind of just thought, oh gosh, it's a really, really bad migraine. This migraine's awful. So I carried on cleaning. I finished off cleaning the bar. I probably did a really bad job because at that point my eyesight had gone as well. I literally slept for, I think, something like 26 hours after that. And it was Heather that actually came in and woke me up and said, Laurie, you've been asleep. You've, you've not woken up, you've been asleep for so long. So I woke up and she actually made me eat something. She's like, you need to eat something, like you need to eat some food. And I remember I went to add a shower and I bumped my head on the shower. The shower cubicle was quite small. I remember bumping my head because my eyesight was so bad. I didn't quite believe what he was saying because I thought, well, this is not what I've heard about strokes. This isn't, you know, when you think about a stroke, you think of the typical weakness and things like that. And in my head, I was like, well, that's not what I've had. This is completely different to what I had known a stroke to be, I was shocked. I was in absolute shock. And obviously I was 10,000 miles away from home. I just couldn't believe it. It was a real, real shock. It was, that's the only way I can describe it as a huge shock. They said it was an isochemic stroke. They said that they suspected it was due to the flight, because it was, the flight had been about nine weeks previous, but they never actually found the clot. They, they, they said the clot's either gone, it's too late, you know, it's too long. They never found a reason, and they've never found a reason at all for any of, any of the strokes I've had. Hello, Mark Goodyear here. Welcome to Stroke Stories. This is the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, we hear from Laura Marriott from Colville in Leicestershire, UK. Laura suffered a stroke at the age of 22. I had just finished working at Morrison's and I'd gone travelling in Australia. I'd finished university. I'd been working for a year after university. I'd, I'd done my degree in journalism and I'd worked for a year at Morrison's and then I'd just gone travelling. I'd gone travelling in the April of 2012 I'd gone with my best friend Heather and we were we were in Melbourne at the time and the plan was to stay out there for like a year, maybe two years. We were going to, you know, travel around Australia, maybe do Thailand, you know, the typical kind of backpacker sort of scene. Unfortunately, I didn't make it any, I didn't make it past Melbourne because in the June of 2012, that's when my first stroke happened. We were working as cleaners in in the hostel that we were living in and also working as cleaners in the bar that was next door to the hostel. The morning of my stroke, me and Heather used to clean the bar together, and it was like an early, like six o'clock kind of early shift in the morning to get the bar clean, ready for their lunchtime kind of rush. And Heather would actually message me to say, 
would you mind cleaning on your own this morning? Because I'm not feeling very well. And I was feeling fine. So I said, yeah, not a problem. You know, I'll go and do it by myself. So I'd gone round to the, the bar next door, unlocked, you know, got all the cleaning stuff out ready to go. And actually felt really well that morning. You know, I, it was it was weird. I remember feeling quite bouncy and awake, you know, quite sort of well, considering we'd been out the night before. And it was about 10 minutes in and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like a gun had gone off in my head. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah, it was just possibly the most painful thing I've ever felt in my life. But I'd suffered from migraines previously. So in my head, I kind of just thought, oh, gosh, it's a really, really bad migraine. This migraine's awful. So I carried on cleaning. I finished off cleaning the bar. I probably did a really bad job because at that point my eyesight had gone as well. I couldn't see very well. I kind of finished off cleaning the bar and then I went back to the hostel and I spoke to Heather and said, I'm really feeling not very well. And I just went to bed. I went back to sleep because I thought, you know, I'll just sleep it off as I'd done before with previous migraines and it'll be fine. But obviously it wasn't fine. It was a lot more serious than I actually imagined at the time. I literally slept for, I think, something like 26 hours after that. And it was Heather that actually came in and woke me up and said, Laurie, you've been asleep. You've you've not woken up. You've been asleep for so long. So I woke up and she actually made me eat something. She was like, you need to eat something. Like, you need to eat some food. And I remember I went and had a shower and I bumped my head on the shower. The shower cubicle was quite small. I remember bumping my head because my eyesight was so bad that I couldn't I couldn't see the, the wall next to me. But at that point, I still didn't, it still didn't twig. Because obviously at 22, you don't expect to have a stroke. You don't expect, that's not the first thing that comes into your mind. I just thought, oh gosh, this migraine's really, really bad. And it took a couple of days. It was a good two, I think it was like three days but after three days, my headache had gone. The pain in my head, well, the headache, the pain in my head had gone, but my eyesight hadn't come back. And that's when it started to get, I started to get worried that there was something more serious going on than I'd initially thought. So we then went to the hospital. We went to Melbourne, uh, Royal Melbourne Hospital. And I remember going in and this hospital was really, it was like something on Grey's Anatomy. It was really modern. It was really, you know, it looked, it was all glass fronted and it looked fantastic. And I remember it was joke, me and Heather joking, oh, we're like, it's like being in Grey's Anatomy. And I got rushed in quite quickly, which I thought, oh, you know, the healthcare system here is brilliant. You know, this is great. Not realising at the time that obviously they were suspecting that I'd had a stroke and I had a load of tests done. And then they said to me, there was a, this doctor came and said to me and said, you know you've had a stroke and I was it was I still didn't believe I didn't quite believe what he was saying because I thought well this is not what I've heard about strokes this isn't you know when you think about a stroke you think of the typical weakness and things like that and in my head I was like well that's not what I've had this is completely different to what I had known a stroke to be I was shocked I was in absolute shock and obviously I was 10,000 miles away from home I just couldn't believe it it was a real real shock it was that's the only way I can describe it as a huge shock. Doctors were able to identify what kind of stroke it was, but not what caused it. They said it was an ischemic stroke. They said that they suspected it was due to the flight, because it was the flight had been about nine weeks previous, but they never actually found the clot. They, they, they said the clot's either gone, it's too late, you know, it's too long. They never found a reason, and they've never found a reason at all for any of any of the strokes I've had. I spent a week in hospital 
because I was the youngest person by about 40 years, you know, which I think is quite common with young people having strokes. And it was a teaching hospital as well. So I'd have a lot of, you know, with my permission, they they were saying, you know, can we bring these students in to have a look at you and, you know, do checks and things like that, which I was fine with because it was, you know, they were testing. I remember having a camera down my throat. I had lots of MRI, I think I had MRI, CT scan. They, they tested and tested and tested for a whole week. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't find what had happened. I know they checked my heart as well. And then again, they couldn't find why. I remember being really upset because I'd missed, a tr- I'd booked a trip to go to on the Great Ocean Road and I couldn't go. So that was quite hard because it was sort of, I'd been so looking forward to it and it was something that I couldn't do. And I remember finding it quite hard that there was, you know, seeing people that were so, so poorly and being scared that that could be me. You know, they were so, so poor. There were some, you know, really elderly people that were really, really poorly. And I remember being really scared and getting quite upset. And that was really hard to, to kind of see and think, gosh, you know, this is really sick. This is actually a lot more serious than I think I initially gave it credit for, you know. But yeah, I spent a week in hospital and, and then was discharged. I couldn't fly home for a month. So I spent a month living with a lovely friend of a friend who I didn't know at the time, but came to see me and took me in. And I lived with her for a month and she helped with organising insurance and, you know, organising all those things that I needed to organise to get home. She really helped with that. And I was very lucky that I had those wonderful people around me that were there to help. But it was terrifying. It was really scary. At the time, I didn't know it, but I was left permanently visually impaired. They did say to me that they thought it would come back. And the doctor was like, we, we think it should come back. But in the end, it didn't. And I'm still visually impaired now. I have right-sided hemianopia, so no peripheral vision on the right side at all. That improved slightly from when it first happened. At first, it was very, very severe. It did improve very slightly, but it didn't. It's never fully come back. And I think the other major one really was fatigue. I was absolutely, you know, I'd been used to being really quite active, you know, it was a typical 22-year-old, you know what I mean? Typical kind of active 22-year-old. And I was finding that I'd go for a walk and I'd have to go and lie down for a nap afterwards because I was so tired that it was just pure exhaustion. I've never felt exhaustion like it. And I've had two kids and they're pretty exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the other thing that I didn't really anticipate at the time was how much it affected my confidence as well. You know, it had a real impact on my emotional well-being as well you know it had a real big impact on my emotional well-being at the time and I don't think I gave myself enough credit for how much it had affected me you know I was determined just to carry on as normal and it was all going to be fine I was quite strong-willed but actually I didn't give myself time to kind of mourn what had happened you know and work through what had happened because it was you know it was a lot more serious than I'd kind of given it credit for. When she was 26, Laura suffered her second stroke. At this point, I'd got married and I'd fallen pregnant with my eldest son, Alfie. He's now six. And the pregnancy was fraught. It was quite scary because I was aware that, you know, having had a previous stroke, that being pregnant was a risk factor. You know, it was a risk being pregnant and it potentially could cause a further stroke. I got through it. And I had Alfie. Now, there was complications with Alfie's birth, but not related to the stroke. He ended up being an emergency C-section. But that, you know, it started to recover and it was all seemed okay. Looking back, I had, I think I had a a couple of very small TIAs, 
during like the postpartum period. But because I was so tired, I didn't kind of clock what it was. My speech went very, very slightly, but it lasted for like a second, maybe two seconds. Um, And because it was so tiny and I was so tired, I just put it aside and kind of just didn't think about it. And then about nine weeks after I had Alfie, I I'd gone home to visit my family and again I was I'd recovered you know I was starting to really properly recover at that point I was feeling really well you know I was starting to sort of get used to being a new mum and I was sat in the living room with my sister and my ironically weirdly my best friend Heather's mum had come to visit and visit me and see Alfie they were chatting away and I was doing something on the floor I think I'd got I'd ordered something like some clothes and I was sorting through them trying to work out what I was going to send back and they were chatting away to each other and I remember wanting to join in the conversation and realized I couldn't I couldn't talk I I I just what I wanted to say just wasn't coming out and I remember my sister looking at me and she said Laura are you having another stroke the words that came out were just jumbled and I nodded and she said oh my god and she called the ambulance in a weird way even though it ended up having less physical effect because obviously I can now talk absolutely fine. It had a more profound emotional effect than the first one had, even though the first one was physically, obviously it left me permanently visually impaired. That one was worse. And again, I didn't have any weakness. I didn't have, you know, there was no, on the outside, there was no obvious effect, you know, apart from the fact that I couldn't talk, there was no obvious effects. And when my sister called the ambulance and she said, my sister's having a stroke and the ambulance, they asked, said, you know, how old, asked my date of birth and everything. And they said, well, she can't be at that age. And it was only because my sister said, well, she's already had one. They kind of went, oh, okay, sent the ambulance out. Luckily, my speech came back. It didn't last very long. Uh, It only lasted about half an hour, probably maximum. But obviously they took me to the hospital. Again, they did, they did the checks and things. They sent me home the following morning. I didn't stay very long in the hospital that time. I was I was at Leicester Hospital at this point, Leicester Royal. They sent me home. And then they said, can you come back for the stroke clinic? on, on This was on like the Wednesday, the other Wednesday. And they said, can you come back to the stroke clinic on the Friday? I said, yeah, absolutely. So my mum came with me and my ex-husband looked after Alfie. And... The doctor, weirdly enough, also knew the doctor from Melbourne Hospital. He'd worked with him at some point. So it was a really weird coincidence of weird coincidence of things. And he sat me down and he said, would you like your mum to come in? I said, no, it's fine. And I kind of knew what he was going to say. I did expect it. And he said, yep, you've had a stroke. He said, it's on the opposite side. He said, it's it's a bit strange because obviously you've got scarring, the scarring there. He said, but obviously it's all come back okay. So... He said it's very strange. He said it doesn't really make any sense. And again, I went through a round of tests and things after that. At that point, you know, my speech had come back. I was physically back to normal, but again, really struggling with fatigue again, along with having a newborn baby to look after as well. That was really severe. Like this fatigue was exceptional again. It was really, really exhausting. Coming up, Laura talks about suffering a TIA. I couldn't, I just couldn't talk. The words were coming out completely jumbled. It was just gobbledygook. And I remember Kieran looking at me and saying, are you okay? And I just, I I just shook my head and he said, do I need to call an ambulance? And I just nodded. 
and he obviously the ambulance came and I quickly went upstairs and got dressed because again it hadn't affected me physically in that kind of you know physical sense and what family members can do to emotionally support stroke survivors and not enough is spoken about with the emotional side of, of a stroke you know physically there is help there although not as much as there should be but I think with the emotional side of things people kind of forget about that side of it and it does have a huge effect on you emotionally and physically and I think being able to sort of support that person emotionally is really important. Let's hear how Laura's second stroke impacted her mental health. The second one it had a huge effect on me mentally. It got to the point where I was I became quite agoraphobic and I started to struggle going out with Alfie on my own. Where we were living my ex-husband's in the RAF and we were living quite rurally anyway and obviously I couldn't drive and I started to struggle to leave the house with Alfie on my own I think in part because I was scared that if I had another stroke and something and it was more serious then I wouldn't be able to look after him I, I wouldn't be able to look after this baby who was you know I, I couldn't look after him so I, it got to the point where I was really really struggling I was eventually diagnosed with postpartum anxiety and health anxiety I kept my phone on me at all times because I was so scared that something was going to happen to me and then, you know, something would happen to Alfie because I was, you know, he was the only, he was the only one there. I was the only one adult in the house. And if something happened to me so severely, would I be able to ring, um, you know, if I couldn't talk properly? I struggled to leave the house on my own. If I had somebody with me, I was a little bit better about it. But I was terrified. I spent about a year just being absolutely terrified of something happening and not being able to look after Alfie properly. If it happened, I did end up having CBT for that, which really, really helped. But it was a really quite a scary time. I was, you know, I was so scared. I think the the element of having a baby, you know, it wasn't, it was a physical, the physical effects as well, you know, having to look after Alfie. I was so tired all of the time. I was I was really, really exhausted, you know, and that didn't help with, you know, my anxiety levels because when you're so tired, your anxiety levels go up higher because obviously you're exhausted. I ended up being quite depressed as well. You know, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression and anxiety and the stroke just added another layer of, another layer to that that made it just a lot harder. Laura suffered a TIA at the age of 29. I had... Eddie in May of 2018 and that pregnancy was a lot calmer I felt more prepared after I'd sort of had the CBT after Alfie um, you know and I started to recover and I felt a lot more it was a lot more positive it was a much more you know I felt much more prepared I'd done a lot of research into pregnancy and strokes I felt more prepared for the pregnancy so I'd gone through and I had a relatively straightforward pregnancy. There were some hiccups, but nothing major. I'd planned with the, you know, the stroke doctor and the cardiologist and the neurologist and all the ologists and the gynecologists that we were going to plan a plan C-section. So it was managed, you know, and I could come off and I'd gone on to heparin. So I was having daily heparin injections. And I'd specifically asked the doctor if I could have heparin injections for 12 weeks after birth rather than the standard six weeks, which you tend to have. Because obviously I'd had the stroke, that stroke at nine weeks, I thought, well, if I go for 12 weeks, it's going to add that extra level of protection. 
Eddie's birth was really smooth. It was incredibly calm. You know, my recovery was brilliant with him. It was a really calm and a happy time. And, you know, I hadn't had any kind of issues. There was no kind of hint of any kind of TIA or anything like that, like I'd had with Alfie. So I was getting to that point where I thought, you know what? Great. We're really kind of, you know, this has worked. You know, we're doing really well. And I got to the 12 weeks and, you know, stopped the injections. And I was just on aspirin at that point, you know, just taking those that daily aspirin. And it came to, so it was 15 weeks. So it was a few weeks after stopping that heparin. We were planning to go to Clumber Park in Nottinghamshire for a day out with Alfie and Eddie and, you know, go for a family day out. And I remember I'd gone to have a bath in the, that, like I'd gone to have a bath that morning and I was in the bath, got out of the bath perfectly fine. And as I was sort of drying myself, I remember feeling strange. I remember thinking something's not right. And I went down, I remember going downstairs to Kieran and I tried to talk to him. And again, it was exactly like it had been with, with when it had been the, the other time, or again with my sister. And I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't talk. The words were coming out completely jumbled. It was just gobbledygook. And I remember Kieran looking at me and saying, are you okay? And I just, I, I just shook my head and he said, do I need to call an ambulance? And I just nodded. And he, obviously the ambulance came and I quickly went upstairs and got dressed because again, it hadn't affected me physically in that kind of you know physical sense so I quickly went upstairs and you know got some clothes on and the ambulance came I went in the ambulance and Kieran I think organized I can't remember now organized for the kids to go to to a friend's house and that one even though it was TIA my speech actually it went for about an hour it was a lot longer and when I got into the hospital went to recess and it came back for a little bit. So it had been, so the ambulance came and it had been about an hour and then it came back for a short while and then it went again and I just couldn't talk again. And it was just, it was really scary because it was like, I was just surrounded by these doctors, you know, and you're in, you're in, you know, A&E and, and it was like, nobody could do anything to stop this happening. It was just kind of happening. It wasn't very nice. It was scary, but it was like, okay, well, I'm hoping this is going to come back like it did last time. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay, hopefully. And obviously it was in the end. Uh, but again, they did when they did the checks and things and I went back for, I got the results and they said, well, this has been a TIA because there's no scarring on your brain this time. Even though it had lasted longer than the the one before that had scarred my brain, it was, it was a really odd situation and again they said we don't know why we can't find they did all the same checks again they did all you know check my heart again you know they did a full MRI again they done all these checks again the same checks that they'd done and you know I don't know if they did different ones as well but there was nothing there was nothing there to suggest why it, why it had happened. And finally here's Laura with her advice to stroke survivors and their loved ones. I think the one thing I'd say is for a stroke survivor is push for those answers if, you know, because obviously we want those answers. But if you are one of those 20% that they can't find the answer for, I think getting therapy to help with that is a huge thing because that's really helped me. And I think with regards to family members, I think having do research on, on strokes because so many people didn't know, didn't understand the, what was what I was going through, you know, and I had a really supportive family, but I know not everybody has that. And being able to kind of do your research and know 
you know, just a little bit about stroke because I think with the word stroke is quite, it doesn't really tell you what what it is that happens you know they say a heart attack you know what a heart attack is whereas a stroke is a brain attack more than anything isn't it really and I think with as a family member you know being able to do research and know how to help that person you know supporting them emotionally I think is a huge really really important thing because I think the emotional side of strokes isn't and not enough is spoken about with the emotional side of, of a stroke you know physically there is help there although not as much as there should be but I think with the emotional side of things people kind of forget about that side of it and it does have a huge effect on you emotionally and physically and I think being able to sort of support that person emotionally is really important. Laura's strokes had a huge impact on her physical and mental health, but thanks to the support of family and friends and her involvement in cognitive behavioural therapy, she's now feeling better than ever. Thank you for listening to Stroke Stories. We very much appreciate your support. Please do spread the word, comment and rate the episodes. That'll help us. And do, if you can, recommend to family and friends or anybody you think it might help. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.